Good morning. For our scripture reading this morning, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 8. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, often called the resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. Let's pray. Father, Lord, what a, what a day it is that we're gathered here to celebrate today, your resurrection. Lord, without the resurrection, our, our faith would be in vain. It would just be another religious leader who's still in the tomb. But your word claims and in, in, in truth says that he rose again, that he rose victorious over the grave after three days. Father, thank you that your word explains that so very clearly. It can't be refuted according to your word. And Lord, that's what we're basing everything on this morning is your word. Help us to, help us to take you at your word. Father, encourage us this morning in our faith. I, I can imagine in the group that's, that's here this morning that someone is struggling in their faith, as, as we all do. Lord, help our unbelief this morning. Lord, we want to, I know we want to believe, but help our unbelief. Father, I just, I just pray that you'd work mightily this morning in the hearts of every person that's here. Lord, help us to not forget that every Sunday is Resurrection Day, but, but today we celebrate it and we focus on it. And I just pray that our eyes would not be taken off of, of the cross, but also the, the victory of the grave over death. Father, I just pray that you'd be with Preacher as he speaks here in a moment. Fill him with, with your awesome and mighty power. And I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to exactly what it is you'd have for us. Lord, I just pray that if, if, if we don't know of a specific moment where we have put our complete faith and trust in the completed work and the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to make payment for our sins, if, that, if we can't go back to a time when we gave our life to you and, and asked you into our heart to save us and put our faith and trust in what your word says, I just pray that this morning that would be the case for many in this room. Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be active, to be powerful this morning. We need you, and I just pray that you'd bind Satan and his demons in the name and through the blood of Jesus for many distraction. And Lord, we ask these things in and through your blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to speak to you on the subject, obviously, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you are saved and born again child of God, you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and that he rose again. Amen? And we serve a risen Savior. He's alive. We do not serve someone who's still in the tomb. 
We serve someone who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven and who is our risen Savior. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is perhaps the greatest doctrine of the Christian faith. It is the foundation for all other Bible doctrine. For example, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, as the Bible says, then the Bible itself is not the inspired Word of God. Five times before his death, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. One time he said, I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Five times Jesus himself predicted that he would rise from the dead. If the resurrection is not true, again, then the Bible is not the inspired word of God. If Jesus was not resurrected, then we have no gospel to preach. For this passage of scripture tells us that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then that he was seen of many others after he rose from the dead. It's the foundational stone upon which all other doctrine in the Word of God is built. You destroy the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you destroy the grounds for our justification. For the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, it says He was raised for our justification. Destroy the resurrection of Jesus and you destroy the deity of Jesus Christ, which simply means that Jesus Christ is God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says... He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus distinguishes and makes Christianity superior to all other religions in the world. Someone rightly said, Christianity begins where other religions end, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All other religions of the world can point to a founder, and they can point to their founder's grave. But there's no religion other than Christianity that can point to an empty tomb in which their founder has risen from the dead. Our founder was buried. He was in the grave for three days and three nights, but he came out of there, amen? He's not there anymore. I suppose that there's no doctrine that's hated as much by Satan than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus died... Satan had already put it in the minds of people to deny the resurrection. Satan hates the doctrine of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is mentioned 40 times in the New Testament. It was the central theme of the preaching of the disciples throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's several things I want you to notice by way of the resurrection this morning. There's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill those out as we go along. First of all, I want you to see the prophecy of the resurrection. The prophecy. The resurrection was not something that just happened with nobody knowing about when it was going to happen or anything about it or, or even being unable to know anything about it. Long before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that he would rise again from the dead. Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. It was believed in Jesus' day that corruption of the body began to take place after the fourth day in the grave. In other words, the Bible body began to deteriorate. 
You remember the story of Lazarus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. When he went to Mary and Martha to the cemetery and he was ready to raise Lazarus, he said to them, first of all, he said, take ye away the stone. And he had them remove the stone before the tomb where Lazarus was buried. But when he asked them to take away the stone, they said to the Lord, they said, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. In other words, he had gotten to that time when the body was deteriorating. Could I tell you that the body of Jesus did not deteriorate? It did not corrupt. He was raised on the third day before the supposed deterioration begins to take place. And hundreds of years before his death and burial, it was prophesied that he would rise. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 39 and 40, some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And the Lord answered them and he said, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus said to them, you want a sign? You want a sign that I am the Son of God? Then I'm going to give you a sign. Here's the sign. One day I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried, and I'll be in that grave for three days. After the third day, I'm going to come out of that grave, and that will prove to you that I am the Son of God. And he said, that's the only sign I'll give to you. You see, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, they would have marked him off just as another imposter of every other religion. A skeptic said to a little girl one time, he said, I hear you talking about Jesus all the time. There are many Jesuses. There are many Christs. Which one do you worship? The little girl paused for a moment and then she said, I worship the one, sir, that rose from the dead. And I hope that's the same one that you worship today. Amen? The living Savior. In Matthew 16 and verse 21, the Bible says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. In John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus said, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Now they thought he was talking about the temple where they went to worship. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the temple of his body. Destroy this body, and in three days I will raise it up again. He was prophesying about his resurrection. Martin Luther said years ago, he said, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. You see, when the, when the trees and the, and the plants and all, in the fall, the leaves die, fall off and they kind of go dormant. But then in spring, what happens? The leaves come back and the flowers come back. It's a picture of the resurrection. And it reminds us of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. So we see the prophecy of the resurrection. Secondly, I want you to notice the proof of the resurrection. What proof do we have that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, the Bible says we have many infallible proofs. First of all, there's the proof of human reasoning. The proof of human reasoning. Jesus Christ had a trial. It was a mock trial. They condemned him. They beat him. They crucified him. And after his death, they took the body down from the cross. They placed it in a tomb in which man had never been placed. And they rolled a stone over in front of that tomb. 
The religious leader said, you remember that he said after three days I'll rise again from the dead. And so they said, put a stone in front of it and seal it and put some guards in front of it so the disciples can't come and take the body and steal it and claim that he rose again from the dead. In other words, they were saying, let's make sure he doesn't get out of that tomb. They did two things to make sure that Jesus couldn't get out of the tomb. First of all, they sealed it with a Roman seal. Now that's important for us to understand because the Roman government at that day dared anybody, by putting that seal on the tomb, they dared anybody to, to mess with that, with that seal and to open that tomb. You don't fool with the Roman government. You didn't fool with something that was sealed by that government. That was a world empire. And the world, the whole world, stood behind that seal. But that seal wasn't enough to keep Jesus in the tomb. Secondly, they stationed a guard around the tomb. Now, Roman soldiers stood by that tomb night and day to guard it. The Bible doesn't tell us how many soldiers were there, but a little bit later on, when Peter was guarded, they said there were four quaternions of soldiers. A quaternion is a squad of four, so that meant it took 16 soldiers to guard Peter and make sure he stayed in prison. Well, if they put 16 to guard Peter, they probably had at least that many or more to guard the Lord Jesus. Rome dared the entire world to mess with that tomb. But after three days and three nights, you and I know the, the truth, the tomb was empty, wasn't it? No matter what they did to try to keep him there, he arose. Now I want you to reason with me for a minute. If Jesus came out of that grave, either man took him out or God took him out. There's no other possibility. If man took Jesus out of the tomb, then it had to either be his friends or it had to be his enemies. Do you think his friends, that little band of defenseless disciples, could overpower a quaternion of Roman soldiers, Roman guards, to make sure the body stayed in that tomb? If his friends didn't take him out, and, and, and if they did, somehow they got in there and they were able to take him out, don't you think the Roman government would have found that body and proved them to be imposters? It didn't just disappear into thin air. They could have found the body if it was stolen and taken out by the disciples. They could have produced a corpse, but they couldn't do it because there was no corpse. There was no body in the tomb. It was gone. Well, if it wasn't his friends, then it would have had to be his enemies. They were doing everything to keep him in the tomb. They wouldn't have come to try to get him out. They wouldn't do that. It would have contradicted whatever they had tried to say and the message they had tried to put across. It would have sounded like some of our news media today, wouldn't it? They didn't, they didn't try to fake it. That only leaves one alternative. God Almighty himself raised him from the dead. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So we have the proof of human reasoning. Secondly, we have the proof of the testimony of 500 brethren. If you look back in our text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 6, it says, After that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once. Now, we know and we have heard of cases that were tried 
that there was just one person who gave one piece of testimony that turned a whole trial and caused a person to either be convicted or caused them to be set free. I wonder what the testimony would be of 500 witnesses that marched through the courtroom and said, I saw him. I saw him firsthand. I am an eyewitness of the resurrected Savior. They would step forward and say, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. There's some modernist preachers that say that all these 500 people were just having hallucinations. Well, I can't believe that 500 born-again, blood-washed believers were all having hallucinations at the same time, and they all saw the same thing in their hallucinations. At the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said that most of those 500 people were still alive. In other words, we can still produce these witnesses to give to you their their, uh, first-hand account. So there's the proof of the testimony of 500 brethren. Then there's also the proof of human nature. The proof of human nature. The first law of life is self-preservation. You take an animal, if you hem up an animal or you corner an animal, it'll fight for its life in most cases. When it comes to life and death, most human beings will fight for life. I don't know how many times I've visited people in the hospitals who were on their deathbed and people have said to me something like this, but he's a fighter. She's a fighter. They won't give up. But here, here were men, these people in the New Testament, these witnesses that saw Jesus Christ after he had risen from the dead, they were willing to give their lives. They were willing to die to say Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They weren't denying it so that they could save their life. If their friends objected, they would give up those friends. If their job interfered, they'd give up their job. If they were threatened with death, they were willing to die. But they were not willing to deny that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And many of them did die because they refused to deny the literal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the proof of human nature. And then we have the proof of common experience. The proof of common experience. When a loved one dies, And many of us sitting here have had brothers and sisters, and some of you had mates, some of you have had siblings or children that have died. When a loved one dies, sometimes it takes a while to get through that, doesn't it? We never get over it, but we kind of work through it, and it takes a while. I heard about a beautiful lady in a southern church who, she didn't have a boyfriend, and she was never married. And one day a young boy asked his father, he said, Dad, he said, Miss so-and-so is a beautiful woman. Why doesn't she have a husband? Why doesn't she have children? And the father told him this story. He said she was deeply in love and engaged to be married. But the man that she loved was killed in an accident. And she never got over it. She still has a place in her heart for that man. She still sorrows over him. I know of another lady who sits in a cemetery a lot of days with a little chair. She goes there oftentimes and spends hours there. Her son is buried there and she still sorrows as much today as she did the day her son died. I'm simply saying sometimes it takes a long time to work through that sorrow, doesn't it? It takes a while to work through that grief. But after Jesus Christ died, the disciples grieved and they were sorrowful, but only for three days. Because after three days and three nights, suddenly their sorrow turned into joy. 
And they were no longer sorrowful. You couldn't find a sad disciple in the whole group. What brought about the sudden change? It was very simple. The object of their sorrow was now alive. They had seen the risen Jesus Christ. We sing the song, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. We have the proof of common experience. And then we have the proof of changed lives. I'm so glad that the risen Savior changes people's lives. There are people in this room this morning that were once alcoholics. They went everywhere to find a cure. They searched in vain till they came to know the risen Savior. This morning, those who were once alcoholics are now joyous, happy Christians. I could point out people in this congregation who were once drug addicts. This morning, they're living without drugs. Today, they're joyous, happy Christians because their life has been changed by the power of a living Savior. Jesus Christ made the difference in their life. You see, we have more than just a book of rules to follow. We have a Christ who lives within us and who changes our life. I'm simply saying changed lives is proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My own father was an alcoholic. Got saved when he was 25 years of age. He said at, at one point that he didn't get saved because he thought if he did get saved, God had called him to preach and he didn't want to be a preacher. He did get saved. I remember him driving me one time. He lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we went past a corner uh, um, restaurant, bar, I guess it was. And he said, Tim, he said, there's the last place I ever went in for a drink. He said, I sat down at the table, I ordered a beer. And he said, all I could think about when I was sitting there was, what if Jesus came back while I was sitting here with that beer in front of me? He said, I pushed it back, got up and walked out and never took another drink. You know what changed his life? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ changes lives, and He's still changing lives today. And He'll change your life if you've never trusted Him. If you'll give your life to Him, He can give you victory over whatever addictions. He can give you victory over whatever problems in your life. He can change your life. And then there's the proof by angels which testified to His resurrection. When Mary and Mag Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb of the resurrected Savior, in Mark 28 and verse 6 it says, The angel said, He is not here, for He is risen. That's a pretty good testimony, isn't it? From an angel. And not only angels, but devils in hell believe in the resurrection. The devils in hell believe in the resurrection. In Acts chapter 19, there were seven sons of Sceva attempting to cast demons out of a man. And they answered back and they said, Jesus I know. This was the demons. They said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? What I want you to notice is they said, Jesus I know. That's present tense. That was after his death. That was after his burial. That was after his resurrection. They said, we know him. That Jesus is alive. We know him now. It's amazing that even the demons were more fundamental than some preachers I know today that don't believe in the resurrection. And then there's the proof of time. The proof of time. Time is a great leveler of human names and human events. As time moves across the pages of history, it blots out the lesser names, leaving only the prominent ones for our memory to retain. Dr. Harry Rimmer was lecturing in a college one time, and after his lecture, he, was at, he asked for questions, 
And a young Jewish man asked him this. He said, what did Jesus Christ do that no one else has ever done? And Dr. Rimmer looked at him and he said, sir, he said, you are a Jew. He said, yes, sir, I know that. He said, I take it that you know the early history of your Jewish people. And you know that Titus and Pilate and the old Roman emperors crucified at least 30,000 young Jews. The young student said, I agree to that. They crucified over 30,000 young Jews. Dr. Rimmer continued, he said, I will name one of those Jews for you, and then you name one. He said, I will name Jesus Christ. He was crucified. Now you name one of the other 30,000. And the young man thought for a little while, and he said, I don't know the name of another single one. He couldn't name a one of the 30,000. Why? Because time is a leveler of human names and events. Why do we remember one, but we can't remember the other 29,999? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ was the only one of the 30,000 that rose again from the dead. He is alive. And then there's another proof, and that is nobody, generally speaking, nobody hurts a, hates a dead man. When a person dies... We usually forget our hatred towards them. I've been to hundreds of funerals through the years, and it's amazing how wonderful people are after they die, isn't it? We don't talk about how bad they were and all the things that they did. Well, people who literally hate people, it seems like after they die, that hatred seems to, to, to get less and eventually is gone. But isn't it interesting that most of our world still hates Jesus Christ? And why do they hate him? Because he's alive. Some years ago, during a Sunday morning service in a church in Atlanta, a woman walked down to the front of the church, in front of the pulpit. She turned around and yelled, Jesus Christ is a devil. He's of the devil. You know why she did that? Because she hated him. No one hates a dead man. The reason she hates him, one of the reasons, is because he's alive. He's alive, and they still hate him. And then there's the proof of the five senses. Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. And notice what he said. If you, if you have your Bible, go back to the Gospel of Luke. Let me read a couple of verses with you from chapter 24 of Luke, beginning in, thir in verse 39. Luke chapter 24, and listen to what it says in verse number 39. Luke 24 and verse 39 and it says, Behold, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He said, Behold, he said unto them, uh, Why are you troubled? Verse 38. And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Jesus said to them, Handle me. In other words, he was saying, Touch me, the sense of touch, our, our five senses. And then he said, A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye, as ye see me have. The sense of our eyesight, they could see him. And then it says, when he had thus spoken, they could hear. That was the sense of hearing. 
And when they gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb, that's the sense of smell and taste. The proof of the five senses that he was alive, he had risen from the dead. And there's also the proof of scientific and archaeological analysis. Scientific and archaeological analysis. An excavation took place over 200 years ago in Jerusalem when a man by the name of General Gordon uncovered the tomb of Jesus. Now, if you pay attention, you'll see pictures of the tomb on television, news things. You'll see them in different places. And I've been to Israel twice. And you know, it's interesting because all the pictures I've seen, I haven't seen any of them of the place where I went to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, and most of them are different. You'll see one and it looks different. you see another, it looks different. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because of commercialism. You understand that, it, that, that tourism and all of that is a part of that. But this man by the name of Gordon, General Gordon, uncovered what is believed to be the tomb of Jesus. When I went, I went to Gordon's tomb, or to the tomb that is called his tomb, because he's the one that found it. Jerusalem was destroyed by war many more than any other city in the world. It was destroyed so many times that they tell us that the elevation of Jerusalem is today 20 feet higher than it was during the time when Jesus walked on this earth. And when General Gordon uncovered the tomb, now called Gordon's tomb, scientists scraped the dirt from that tomb and submitted it for chemical analysis. And after a thorough chemical analysis of the dirt, they, con they concluded no human body has ever decayed in this tomb. Well, of course not. Because he arose, amen? Amen. He's alive. Concerning the body of Jesus, the Bible says in Luke chapter 23 and verse 53, it says, And laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. His body was placed there. His body did not decay. He came out of the grave on the third day. And then there's also the proof of a jury trial. A trial was held some years ago, and evidence was produced on both sides. And the jury gave this verdict. They said, and I quote, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. It is said that some years ago there were two brilliant young men in England. One of, the name, one of them was named Littleton. The other was a man by the name of West. They got together one time and they said, if we could disprove two things, we could destroy Christianity. The conversion of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Littleton said, I'll spend one year investigating the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And West said, I'll spend the same year and I'll investigate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the year, we'll meet together, we'll compare our findings. A year later, they met. Littleton said to West, after a year of investigation, I'm convinced that the Bible story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul is true. And not only that, he said, I too have been converted. And then West looked at Littleton and he said, I've been investigating the resurrection of Jesus Christ for a year. And I too have discovered that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. It is undeniable. And it may surprise you to know that I too have received him as my Lord and Savior. I'm saved. I get amused at these modernists who try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One man wrote to a religious editor one time and he said this. He said, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? 
he received this reply. Beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails, with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 72 hours, and see what happens. I don't think they'd have brought him back to life. Well, we see the prophecy, we see the proof. Lastly, very quickly notice the purpose of his resurrection. The purpose of his resurrection, first of all, is justification. It's justification. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. To be justified means that God sees me just as if I had never sinned. You see, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I invite Him into my heart and life, He washes my sins away with the blood of Jesus Christ and makes me just as if I had never sinned. Why? Because God sees me through the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose was justification. Secondly, the purpose was to declare His deity, to declare that He was God. Romans 1.4 says, And declare to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It is the resurrection that proves that Jesus Christ is God. And then thirdly, to assure our own resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead so that we would know that we too one day will rise again. Jesus said in John 14, 19, Because I live, ye shall live also. Because He rose from the dead, we know that one day we will rise again as well. Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. One day we too will rise from the dead and get to go to be with the Lord for all of eternity. And that brings me to the next thing, and that is another purpose was so that we could have the assurance of a wonderful reunion in heaven. One day we're going to have the greatest family reunion we've ever seen or experienced. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. When Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom on this earth, which Revelation talks about, we don't have time to get into that this morning, but He's going to bring us with Him. We who are in heaven are going to come back with Him. But we're going to be caught up together and have a wonderful reunion in heaven. I'm going to see my dad and mom again who are in heaven. I'm going to see my four brothers who are in heaven right now. I'll get to see them again someday. A wonderful reunion. And then Jesus also rose to complete the gospel. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have not preached the gospel until you preach the death and the burial and the resurrection and that he was seen of many witnesses. And then also an assurance that God was fully satisfied with the payment that Jesus made for our sin. Jesus rose from the dead so that we would know that God accepted his payment his blood on the cross at Calvary as full payment for my sin. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
God laid on His Son, Jesus Christ. All of my sin, all of your sin, the sin of the whole world was laid on Jesus Christ. And in verse 11 of that chapter it says, He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made for my sin and for your sin. While Jesus was bearing our sins, God punished Him in our place to pay the debt that we owed for our sin. That's why there's nothing I can do to try to earn heaven. I can live a good life. I can go to church. I can, I can go to commun- or take communion. I can go to uh, confession. I can get baptized. I can do all of those things. All of those things may be good things, but they won't earn my salvation. There's only one thing that satisfies Almighty God as the payment for my sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. The choir sang this morning as we began, when I, they sang, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They took Jesus down from that cross after he had paid, made the full payment for our sin. In fact, as he hung on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The payment was fully made. And three days and three nights later, God raised him from the dead as a declaration that God the Father was satisfied with the price that he had paid for our sin. I know that God accepted Jesus Christ's payment for my sin, and I know that God raised him from the dead. I know it because his word tells me so. And I know that I can take God at his word. He cannot lie. He is truthful. His word is infallible. His word is perfect, and I can stand upon it, and I believe it. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe it? Do you believe Jesus Christ died for you? He paid for your sins. You know God is such a holy and righteous God that He cannot even look upon sin? That's why when Jesus was hanging on the cross and all of our sins were placed on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had to turn His back on His own Son who had never sinned, but He became our sin. And He took the penalty of our sin and paid for our sin. God had to turn His back on His own Son. If you... Understand that God turned His back on His Son. What makes you think He won't turn His back on you if you die in your sins without applying the blood of Jesus Christ to take away your sins? The only hope we have of heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. And inviting Him into our heart and life and inviting Him to take away our sins and become our Lord and Savior. And when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to acknowledge and to admit before God that I am a sinner, and all of us are, we've all failed, we've all broken God's laws, we've all disobeyed Him. When I'm willing to acknowledge to God, I'm a sinner, I don't deserve heaven. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. I'd have to spend eternity in the fires of hell forever and ever. But I believe that my God in heaven loved me so much that He sent His only Son and Jesus died on that cross, took my suffering and my pain and my death and my sin and He paid for that sin with His own blood. And Believing that He made full payment and that the Father accepted that payment, I invite you into my heart and life to be my Lord and Savior and take away my sins and that and that alone will take us to heaven. It's only faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when we believe that He fully paid our sin debt, and when we trust Him as our Lord and Savior, we too can become a child of God 
and can know, not think or hope or wish, we can know that we're saved as a child of God and going to heaven when I die. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and then I'm going to pray. I'll not embarrass you or point you out in any way, but I'd like to pray for you this morning. I wonder how many folks here today can say, Preacher, there's been a time in my life, the Bible talks about salvation as being a birth, a new birth. We have a birth certificate, tells us when we were born physically. If we're going to go to heaven, we need the new birth. When we invite Christ into our heart and life, we're born again. We become a child of God. We're born of the Spirit. Just as there's a time when I was born physically, there's a time when I was born spiritually. One night in a revival meeting, my dad preached the message on hell, and I realized that night if I died, I'd go to hell. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart and life and save me, and he did that. I wonder how many of you here today, you may not remember the time, but you remember the experience when you invited him, when you recognized the, that you were a sinner and the weight of your sin and that Jesus paid your, pen, your penalty. You invited him into your heart and life to save you and take away your sin. You say, preacher, there's been a time in my life when I've been saved. If I die today, before I get home from church this morning, I know not you think or you hope or you wish, but you can say this morning, preacher, if I died today, I know for sure I'm going to heaven because I've put my faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ and that alone as full payment for my sin. I know. If you can say you know for sure you're going to heaven, would you raise your hand as a testimony of that fact? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Preacher, I know. I know. God bless you. You may have put your hand down. I wonder if there's someone here today to say, Preacher, I don't know that for sure. I'd sure like to. If I could know, I want to know. I want to settle it. I want to put my faith in what Jesus did and trust Him and live for Him. I'd like you to pray for me this morning. I don't know, but I'd like to know that. Pray for me. Would you just lift your hand? Let me include you in my closing prayer this morning. I don't know that for sure, but I'd like to know. Pray for me. Would you just lift up your hand? God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you. Is there someone else? Pray for me, preacher. I don't know for sure, but I'd like to know. I want to invite him into my heart and life. I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. Anyone else? Just slip it up right where you are and let me pray for you. God bless you, yes. Anyone else? Just slip it up. You can put it back down. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you. I wonder how many here today say, preacher, I, I know that. I know I'm going to heaven. I've settled that. But I sure haven't been living for the Lord like I ought to. If he called me home today, I'd go to heaven, but I'd be embarrassed by my life and the way I've been living. And preacher, I'd sure like to have his forgiveness. and I'd like to get in, in fellowship with the Lord and not be embarrassed when I stand before him. Some things in my life I need to get right and get straightened out. Not to get saved, I've been saved, but to get back in fellowship and walk with God and live for God. Some things I need to get straightened out in my life. Pray for me this morning. Would you lift your hand? Let me pray for you. Just slip it up wherever you are. Yes, God bless you. Yes, yes. I see a number of hands. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Lord, you know our hearts today. We're all just sinners. Some of us are sinners saved by grace. Some are sinners that need to be saved today. 
Some of us have gotten saved and we've kind of drifted off the path and off the trail and we need to get back on track. Would you help us to do that today? Would you help us even now in these moments of closing moments of this service just to cry out to you in our hearts and make things right with you? Would you help us to do it today?